All right, thank you very much, Jared Goff, for welcoming us to a new season. MJD, DeMarco Farr, and JB Long. And gentlemen, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have serious doubts and serious concerns that we would ever be in these seats preparing for a 2020 season. So uh, though I tried to remain optimistic, to me, this is still a sigh of relief. This is a celebration to see your faces, to be in a booth together, and to be preparing for week one now less than 48 hours away. You know, JB, I, I, I truly believe what you said because I remember going to the first Rams training camp practice like, oh, my God, they made this happen. You know, going back to May and April when you couldn't have the draft and all these different things, there was no doubt in my mind that this was going to be a season without football. I, I, I was like, there's, it doesn't matter the protocol. It is going to rely on the players and the people in that building if they can, you know, stay from the temptations of going out and doing certain things and creating an outbreak. And, I mean, I think all the, the praise should go to them, not just the players but the staff, the coaches, right, training staff, but then also the janitors and the other people that are uh, custodians that are in the building, the mm-hmm. chefs and the cooks and everyone that's in that building, the, the PR staff, everybody, because – if one person were to slip up, that whole team would be in danger. No doubt. I, I'm, I'm going to enjoy the journey, man. I'm with you. I didn't think we were going to be sitting here doing this, so this is a treat. I can't stop smiling. You know, I'm <laughs> grabbing the seats, just all excited. I mean, from when this started, you know, this whole COVID thing started to, you know, till now, we're going to kick off on Sunday. There was a game last night, you know, so it's – I'm telling myself this is really happening. So it's excitement, shock, you know, I'm I'm letting myself get used to this. Before we get to the Cowboys and the Rams and SoFi Stadium, uh, the grand opening that's been tamped down a little bit by the fact that, you know, you, our audience, will not be able to join us there in person. How about that Thursday night football game? What it was as a product on the field, what it was as a product on television, what you took away from it in terms of just your emotions of seeing Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs go out and get the first win of the year? Uh, for me, first of all, the camera crew did a great job. They, I mean, they were showing – granted, it was only 17,000 in the stadium, but on TV it seemed like there was more. Right? They were it's loud just, too. They were loud. You could hear all that. And so uh, that was exciting. But the product on the field goes back to what I always say about football. If you have great players, you're going to have a great team. Mm-hmm. If you have good players, you're going to have a good team. If you continue to trade away your great players, that's the product you're going to have on the field. Well, I'll say this, too. There's continuity for the Chiefs, right? And I'm not comparing the Rams to the Chiefs right off the top of this show in 2020. But I will say when you have coach, when you have quarterback, when you have a lot of pieces on offense, they were able to pick up roughly where they left off in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, then they play this game where they let the other team get the first score or whatever, then they rip off 31 unanswered. But that left me optimistic that when you look at the continuity the Rams have on offense, DeMarco, that McVay and Goff, even without Gurley, without Cooks, might be able to get off to a fast start, which I think is more essential than ever in this environment. I, I think you're going to have to. I mean, I, I didn't know what to expect for, from week one. I, I don't think anyone knows what to expect from week one. That was a great game last night, and dare I say the Chiefs could be even better than they were last year. Could be. Uh, that's really scary, but they do have continuity that the Rams don't have. But uh, I think it's imperative for everybody's offense to get off to a fast start. And I think for the most part, without having seen anyone on tape, I think for the first time in, in years, I could say the offenses are going to have a jump on the defense. Mm. Usually it's the other way around. The defense hits the ground running in September, and then the offense starts to catch up. But when, without anything to watch, without anything to actually emphasize or scare the bejesus out of your defensive players with mm-hmm. on film, they don't know what to expect. So I, I think it's going to be wide open for both offenses, offense uh, for uh, the, the Cowboys and the Rams. So, but – from a Rams perspective, yes, it's very important 
in every game, in every season, for Jared Goff to get off to a good start. He's DeMarco Farr with Maurice Jones-Drew. I'm J.B. Long, and this is the debut episode of Rams All Access on ESPN 710, preparing you for the Sunday night football home opener week one against the Dallas Cowboys. A lot to get to in this hour. We'll have four down territory with the latest from Arlington, Texas, and the Cowboys, who may have the best roster in all of football. We'll also do a game of over-under with our predictions for the season ahead, and we'll talk at length about the record-setting extension for Jalen Ramsey and how he fits into new defensive coordinator Brandon Staley's plan. But let's continue our first segment with some thoughts on expectations. And if you were to rewind time 12 months ago, one, I really wish we could because that seemed to be a happier place in time, (laughs) but I'm confident we'll get back to that level. But with respect to the Rams specifically, um, they were still the darlings of the NFL. And coming off of the season that they had in 2018, uh, despite the Super Bowl result, I think uh, the vast majority of the football cognoscenti uh, was optimistic about what McVay and the Rams had in front of them. This year, not so much. This year, I think they're solidly picked third in the division. I think there's some question marks about whether the Cardinals might have gained ground. And I think uh, in terms of the the sources that evaluate win totals and rosters and evaluate position groups, there aren't many who are willing to say this group is better than average, right? Right. We may we may feel otherwise, but to me that signals that this might be Sean McVay's greatest test yet because of all the challenges that the p- pandemic presents and also that people are down on his team, but that might be a comfortable position for him to be in. It's always it's always better to be the hunter than the huntee. I think that is the toughest thing that you have to realize. And I always was told by a coach, the, the the distance from the outhouse to the penthouse is the same thing. It's the same way. <laughs> you go up fast, you can come down fast. And that's what we're seeing yeah. with the Rams, right? So part of it is, look, expectations uh, last year were so high. It was like the Rams got to go back. You know, they stumbled in the Super Bowl. And then, you know, you start off fast, and all of a sudden you play the Buccaneers. Everything starts going downhill a little bit. You trade everyone away. You bring in Jalen Ramsey, so there 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 have been some issues, some uh, I wouldn't say issues, some things that the Rams have done that kind of put them in this situation. But the situation they're in, I love it. I love it for one reason: no one knows what Cam Akers is going to bring. Mm-hmm. No one knows what this defense is going to be. There is no expectation. There's only the only expect expectation is on Jared Goff being better. That's it. So if I can go in there saying, hey. We could just play free. We don't have to worry about winning 14, 15 games again. We don't have to worry about going back. All we got to do is go out, go back out there and play our game. Then you have a chance. Yeah, child stars grow up and they're not cute anymore, right? And then they really have to act. And you got to see if they can, you know, pull people into the theater. Or you could say Sean McVay and this offense and the Rams as a whole had their first summer flop instead of blockbuster. So. Mm-hmm. What's your next step? How do you recover from this? But, I mean, we were all there. I mean, with the exception of a few games, Dallas last season, Tampa Bay was a shock. You were in Baltimore. Baltimore. Those were the three. Yeah, every other game. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out that game plan versus Baltimore. Those were the three reasons, I think, why Wade Phillips, despite putting solid defenses on the field for three years, is no longer the defensive coordinator for the Rams. Why Sean McVay – changed all three coordinator positions this offseason, and maybe that's where we continue the conversation is. I think part of the reason why this seems like a referendum year for Sean is because he missed the playoffs for the first time despite winning nine games. He made the tough call on Gurley and Brandon Cooks, right? And that's going to hurt in the near term. And he changed out all three coordinators. So I see why there's a little bit of a clean slate look like, okay, this is your show now more than it's ever been. What can you do with it? Well, I I guess it's the stuff that we don't know. But, I mean, if you 
look at how a roster is built or who's not here, you know, Todd's in Atlanta or Wade Phillips isn't here. I mean, you can pretty much imagine what goes on behind the scenes, the stuff we don't get to see, only the team gets to see. So at some point we knew this when he took the job, it was going to be all on him. Um, So why not 2020? Um, You know, starting over with with new coordinators, uh, but with veteran players at quarterback, It seems like a scary prospect, but I'm with Maurice. I think as a head coach, this is exactly where you want to be. Uh, If you want to start climbing the list of the greatest coaches to ever do this, then these are the things you're going to have to overcome. How many things has Belichick overcome? How many times have they written him off? Right, and every, sh- I try to write him off every year, and he keeps showing up in the postseason. So, yeah, this is exactly what what you want to be from a glory standpoint. Now, let's hope it all comes out to the good. Right, you know what I mean? Because uh, a few things go wrong, and this could have been a losing season last last season. You know what I mean? I mean, they were in some of these close games, even some of their wins got a little hairy. Mm-hmm. You know, where this could go either way. So, uh, I, I think this really, and this is not hyperbole, or this is not something you throw out lightly. I think this is going to have to be his best coaching job of his life with this football team in this division. Especially because it's the offense that has to do better. Yes, those three games that we mentioned on defense were catastrophes, but it was the offense that regressed last year, and there mm-hmm. was the offensive line, and there was Todd Gurley, yeah. and there, was a, there were a bunch can of I, reasons behind that. Can I throw that. something out? Behind every defensive collapse, like in Dallas, usually most of the time it's preceded by an offensive turnover. Well, that was – I, I want to say last year was just the Rams' rushing total was just – it didn't work. And that's what happened. If I can't get four yards of carry, you can't play action pass. And that's, right. what, that's what we've known this offense to be, a play action pass. And so – how can you run the ball? How can you not run the ball and then expect to play action pass? This is not going to work. So that's why I said it, this, this. to be honest, the pressure is really on the offensive line and the defensive line this year. That's what it comes down to. If these guys are good, you'll be able to do whatever you need. Since that frigid night in Chicago, right, when this vaunted 6-1 front that's been giving the Rams fits ever since, the Rams are winning by an average margin of 2.6 points per game. Respectable, better than the alternative, but it's way different than the 9.6 points per game that Sean McVay and the Rams were beating the brakes off of teams in 2017 and 2018 to that point. So now they move forward without Brandon Cooks, without Todd Gurley, but they just hitched their wagon to another superstar, this time on defense, making Jalen Ramsey the highest paid corner in football history. What he means to Brandon Staley's defense as they prepare for the Cowboys. That's next on Rams All Access. Well, no coincidence that this was the week for Jalen Ramsey to get that record-breaking contract extension. This is where, you know, from Sean McVay all the way up through the top of the organization, they've made this little niche in late training camp, early week one windows uh, to extend their key players. And this year, Cooper Cup was one name to keep an eye on, but Jalen Ramsey felt like he had to be first because of the two first-round picks they traded to acquire him uh, in the middle of last season. Now he's here for the long haul. And Maurice, what do you think that means to Jalen's ability to play fast, play free with a quieted mind as he goes against maybe the most talented offense in the NFL? Well, you know, it's always good to have that security in your back pocket so you kind of can go out there. But I, I feel like no matter what, Jalen was going to continue to perform. He understood that if he didn't get the contract at this point, depending on how he played throughout this season, he was going to get it next year, right? So he was going to go out there and go to work. To me, it was very interesting to see, like, does Jalen fit the scheme um, that their defensive coordinator wanted to run. And, I, and, I, and it was weird for me to hear that because normally as a coach, you want whatever, you want to put your players in the best position to be uh, uh, to be the best they can be. But it shows you how versatile Jalen Ramsey is. Jalen Ramsey can play safety. He can play cover three. He can play cover two. He can play man-to-man. 
And at that size and that ability, it allows him to do things that most people can't do. And, and so I go back to in training camp where he had that pick six, right, in the red zone. The defense was kind of doing the red zone drill, and he was able to just to, while the ball's in the air, just kind of peak, turn, and catch and take off. And so when you have a player like that, you find a way to make sure he fits your scheme because those guys don't grow on trees. And, and that's where it's funny. I hear all these things from Jacksonville now like, well, he got paid. He'll only be happy for 15 minutes. Like, no, you guys had a chance to pay him. You guys had an opportunity to make that happen. Don't hate now because this guy's in a situation where he's happy and he's making plays. He's going to flourish now because of that, because of the culture and the environment that he's in. Is it talent evaluation? I mean, to me, the guy's playing on a different level. He's playing a different game than everyone else. He's as close to as dominant as Aaron is, you know, just in base schemes. Like when you try to do base things against him, he takes that away. No slants. Or you can't get over the top. Uh, just – it's it's hard to play football against him, plus he's great to boot. So I just wonder, what, what did Jacksonville miss? What am I missing about him that Jacksonville it, it wasn't, knows? It wasn't, it wasn't the on-the-field stuff. Like, how do you let him go? But, but, so this is the thing. This is yeah. what I always tell people. It's like – It wasn't just him in Jacksonville. Yeah, it, 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 okay, it, was, so. it was a bunch of them. But the problem is they just went to the AFC Championship yeah. game. Like, there comes a point in time as a, as a coach – like, this is the one thing I've learned from being with the Rams is a coach is – when you're a head coach, you just don't get to coach anymore. You become a manager. You're more like baseball. You have to manage personalities and expectations. Jalen Ramsey is a personality. Let's like he is going to do all that. And and it was a story that was told to me that when he first traded, he got here there for the Falcons. Wade Phillips was like, "All right, we're going to do this." And before he finishes things, Jalen raised his hand, was like, "Look, I'm locking up with Julio on third downs, right?" Yeah, you are. Okay, good. That's all I need to know. Why? Like, people don't like that. They don't like the outspokenness, but he goes out and backs it up. Then thank goodness Gronk wound up with Belichick because Gronk's a personality. No question. But he's a dynamite player, and I put Jalen Ramsey in that same category. He's a personality, but he's a great football player. He's not like he's beating up people in bars or anything like that. He's just a personality. But I'll say this. For whatever you want to try to do on third down or whatever you're trying to do offensively, whenever Brandon Staley figures out what your scheme is that day – I'm going to put Jalen Ramsey where you want to go or who you want to go to on certain third downs and then make you have to figure out another way that day. And I bet you can't. Most teams can't. So you're saying, like, with the Rams on third down, you're going to put him on Cooper Cup? Pretty much. I mean, if you were facing your own offense, yeah. If I I know you're going to Higby in certain situations or going to Cooper Cup in certain situations, if I got a guy like Jalen Ramsey with that size, that ability, I'm going to lock him up with the guy that you want to go to the most and say, nope. Find, find yes. another way to get it done. That reminds me that I think part of the transition, the intention of the transition on defense was to be more matchy. And I think the division right now dictates that you have to be because defending Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury in one week and defending Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks and defending Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle and the San Francisco 49ers all within the same month creates a lot of stress on the defense. I want you guys to maybe articulate a little bit better than I can what that means to be more matchup driven within the context of the rest of the secondary around him. Because here's the other thing. Yeah. Troy Hill opposite him had a great season last year. Mm-hmm. Tremendous. Darius Williams, when he got his chance in those final three weeks, he had a pick against the Cowboys, against the 49ers, and against the Cardinals, and he did damage as well. So I think when you mix in the secondaries with John Johnson coming back and the two rookies they drafted, there are a lot of options available to Brandon Staley in that matchup game. The easiest way is wherever I can find the pigeon for Aaron Donald. That's where I'm going to put him. Wherever I can find the easiest door to the backfield in a pass rush, that's where I'm going to put him. Jalen Ramsey is the same but a little bit different. If I could put him on Gallup, 
and he's done for the game. Mm-hmm. You'll never hear from him the rest of the day. I will zone off everyone else. I will give help to Troy. I will give help to Darius. Right. And let Jalen take this guy away. So he's he's not a guy you leave on one guy and say, go get him all day long. He's a guy you put on different people to lock him down in certain situations. You know what I mean? Well, I'll say this. The, the game of football has changed completely from when me and DeMarco played. And, and it's funny to say that because I've only been out for like five or six years. But – Remember, left ends only used to rush on the right side of the offense, right? And right ends are on the left side. So you put your pass rusher to go against the, the left tackle. You don't see that anymore. Von Miller rushes from both sides, right? Yeah. Aaron Donald rushes from either – anywhere. You, and so when you – In when, fact, this guy this week, Demarcus Lawrence, is one of the few who the, still this, does. stays on the one side, yeah. right? And so when the league started to do that and they started to find matchups to take advantage, it became more of a chess play than checkers, right? Normally it's just checkers. Everyone's out there. You line up. You know, everyone does the same thing. Now, when you make it chess and you start to put your, your queen piece against pawns or knights, all of a sudden you get this advantage. And so that's where this defense has to click in because you'll play, you know, like you said, if you're playing the Cardinals, okay, Jalen, you got to follow hop, D-Hop everywhere he goes. If he's in the slot, you got to go mm-hmm. down there and go with him. We have to take him away, right? Then we have to worry about we'll let everybody else lock up with everybody else. If you're playing the Niners, George Kittle, you got to lock up with him. <laughs> If we're playing the Seahawks, guess what? It's DK Metcalf. You have to lock up with him. So yeah. you want to put him in situations, and everyone else, like you said, DeMarco, will play around it, but that's what this league has become. And quite as it's kept, that, that beating that Dallas gave him last year, I know we talk about Zeke. Jason Witten was a problem that first oh, half. Yes. Oh, my God. I mean, a huge problem. He was problem. out-slowing yeah. everybody. Well, <laughs> out-slowing that was, I think that was the worst tackling game I've ever seen the yeah. Rams play. Yeah, no and, doubt. And I think they really missed John Johnson in that game because it wasn't Amari Cooper. Cooper only had one catch in that game, and Jalen didn't even really worry about him. It was it was the tight ends, yeah, and and it was Zeke and Pollard, of course, in the running game. And I, I think having John Johnson back against this Dallas offense might be um, the most important piece to get back. But one other thought on on Jalen, because now that he's uh, a Ram for the long haul, I was thinking about how quickly the drop off comes for corners sometimes, like how you can go from mm-hmm. you know top five PFF to get moved out pretty quickly. And, and you and I had this conversation at one point during training camp, Maurice, I can't remember when it was, but given his size, given his size, does he have future p- position flexibility, let's just say, to extend his career in a secondary? Well, this is what people don't know. At Florida State, he played safety. He didn't play corner. They just He was just so athletic. We're like, we're going to put you at corner. You can tell by the way he hits. He used to be a safety. Yeah. He hit Cam Akers in practice. We were there. He sat him down. I, I, I was, yeah. that, it felt, I like almost had to say something. Like, I almost was going to be like, hey, listen. We can't have that. You that can't was the have hardest. That was the hardest hit I saw the entire month of August. It, it yeah. was, and so he's gonna be. He's gonna have the ability to do that and still have the range of safety. I always try to tell you, he reminds me of Rod Woodson. Rod Woodson played corner late in his career, moved to safety. Charles Woodson, same thing, played nickel and corner later in his career, moved to safety, and you still get picks. You still make plays, and so you have a guy that possibly I know he signed a uh, what is a five year deal, right? He can play the long haul here. He doesn't have to go when he gets older. Which is another probably eight years away. Yeah, you could move him to safety, and then he'll be a dominant safety. He'll still be locking up, kind of similar what uh, Bill Belichick asked to leave this year yeah. before he retired. Yeah, I just need you to cover these tight ends. I, I like him hitting like a safety on receivers. I don't want to see him coming up on Zeke Elliott. He will hit consistent. I, I know he will, and I don't want that. 
he will hit him. I, I know he will, and I don't want that. Now that remember, you got 21 in average right. annual value, you don't want him no, to take No, remember what, what he did to DeMarco's Troy Hill DeMarco's making business year. decisions Just on saying. his behalf. Yeah. I love it, the fact that you can hit like a safety. You have a safety as mentality, but I don't want to use you at safety. I want no. you as corner as long as I can get you. I think he's. I think he understands that. He takes his opportunities. Like, yeah. if Zeke is coming full speed, he'll be like, all right, I'm going to just ride you out of bounds. Do you remember how Darius Williams got in the game last year versus Dallas? Troy Hill's hand. He ran up on Zeke Elliott. You, hey. I don't want my, my best corner better, hitting running backs you, you know, all the time. You know what time it is when the running backs come around the corner. You better make that decision. You better make that decision tomorrow, okay, before we get there on Sunday. One of our over-under questions or burning questions in our next segment on Rams All-Access will be who leads the Rams in interceptions. We'll see if either DeMarco Farr or Maurice Jones-Drew pick Jalen Ramsey. We'll also have four-down territory with the latest from Dallas. John Makota coming up to give us everything we need to know about the Cowboys for this Sunday. A quick health update, injury update as we go to the weekend. First of all, Taylor Rapp, who is largely absent at safety during training camp, um, is good to go with a knee injury. He's been full go in practice. Daryl Henderson had the hamstring in what was that, the first scrimmage at SoFi Stadium, largely limited for the rest of camp, but he too has been able to open it up in practice. So all three running backs on the depth chart should be good to go. We'll ask Maurice Jones-Drew how he thinks those carries will be distributed. But the other news of this week is the uh, edge rusher from Alabama, Terrell Lewis, starting the year on the non-football injury list. He had a knee procedure, uh, had some previous history with that. They were afraid there was an infection. Uh, turns out it's not as bad as it could have been, but he's going to miss at least the first three weeks. What do they miss, DeMarco, in not having the rookie on the edge? His versatility, uh, the fact that he could do everything and – you know, jack of all trades, master of none as of right now. And that's just – he's getting his feet wet in the NFL. I mean, you see it. He's got the size. He's got the range. He's got everything you need to be successful in this defense except availability. Mm. Yeah, uh, there's an issue there. So, uh, they're going to miss him. Now, uh, it's it's up to Chris Shula, the outside linebacker coach, and I think you have to handle your guys, Floyd, Samson, Obo Okoronkwo, whoever you're going to rotate in there, you got to handle them like an NL manager handles this bullpen. You're going to have to mix and match mm-hmm. until you find your group or, or, or just have guys that are specialists in certain areas. Like when you put Obo in the game, it should be third in a mile and just turn him loose, let him go after the quarterback, right? When it's first and 10 and anything can happen, I want Floyd and Samson on the field. Right. Yeah, I mean, Samson is a guy that I, I still think is looking for his best season, but at least he's seen a lot. You know what I mean? So I trust them. But in you're going to need some pass rush. You're going to need Leonard Floyd to be the guy that he was drafted to be. And if you can't be that guy next to the best football player in the game, then it's just not in you. I'm not sure how many Rams have favorable matchups this weekend against the Cowboys. Their roster is loaded. But I would put Floyd in that category because instead of Lel Collins coming off a career year at right tackle, it's going to be Cameron Irving, a reserve from Kansas City, who's going to get the start at right tackle. And so if you're Floyd and this is a money-making year, start it off right. Go get the early lead in the clubhouse in week one against Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Okay, over-unders coming up next, plus four-down territory with John Makota from The Athletic in Dallas when we come back to Rams All-Access. And we continue with our first installment of four-down territory in the 2020 campaign from Dallas. John Makota, representing The Athletic, is with us. He covers the Cowboys as well as anyone. I've been reading a ton of his stuff as we prepare for Sunday Night Football at SoFi Stadium. John, I hope you're doing well, and thank you for some of your time on this Friday. Are you buying or selling the Cowboys as favorites in the NFC? I am buying them right now. Um, I know it hurts them that they didn't have the regular offseason. Uh that you would normally get if you have a new head coach, and that might 
make things a little bit more difficult. But just what I've seen in these training camp practices leading up until this weekend and, and really the addition of CeeDee Lamb, I think that that kind of puts him over the top. But it's a two-team race. It comes down to the Cowboys and Eagles. And so I think it comes down to that week six, week 16 game between those two. You know, John, I only see one weakness up and down this roster, and it's probably the secondary, maybe more specifically safety, which I know is a position the Cowboys don't invest a lot of assets in historically. Are there any other glaring concerns as you evaluate them at the outset? No, those are absolutely it. Uh, it's the, the defensive backfield, and in particular being able to cause turnovers. That just hasn't happened here in the last five years. And the, like you mentioned, the safety, they just haven't invest in that position so there's really no surprises that's definitely the biggest weakness if i would go to any of the strengths on the team and say what could potentially be a weakness i would say the health of tyron smith if they were to lose tyron smith uh their starting left superstar left tackle they would be in they would be in trouble um and he's missed at least three games each the last four years and so He's not getting any younger, so that's definitely a position to keep an eye on. L.A.-born USC product Tyron Smith there at left tackle. All right, question number three for John Makota, who covers the Cowboys for the Athletic. I wonder about the leading receiver for this group. I mean, Amari Cooper is the biggest name, of course, but when you take his injury concerns into account, do you think he or maybe CeeDee Lamb or perhaps even Gallup might lead this team in catches when all said and done? I think when it's all said and done, it'll still be Amari Cooper, but – uh, C.D. Lamb has been ridiculously impressive in these training camp races and what we were able to see even in the first week of the season. He'll be their punt returner. He'll be, he'll be used in a variety of ways. He'll be the guy they go to on all their jet sweeps, and they're going to find a variety of ways to get him the ball in his hands. And I think he's going to make an immediate impact. I, I know it'll be tough to compete with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire there for <laughs> Offensive Rookie of the Year, but he'll be in the conversation all season long because he is He's going to be a special player, but I still I would have to go with the, with the veteran. When it's crunch time, Dak's going to be thrown to Amari Cooper. Yeah, quite a debut on Thursday night football for the Kansas City tailback. Final question, John, for all his attributes, and, and there were plenty of them, it often felt like Jason Garrett was holding his talent back. I know a lot of Cowboys fans were, were not content with that, part of the reason why they ultimately made the change. But are we sure Mike McCarthy is the head coach to maximize that talent? I think he is because he's coming in at the right time. I, I really think that Jason Garrett receives too much criticism uh, for the way that being too boring in that offense. Because I think it was the perfect fit when you were going to bring in a rookie quarterback like Dak Prescott. And he kind of eased him in to like slowly putting more on his plate. And now he's at a point now where you know he's, he should be open to do everything. He should be able to do everything that's asked to him. And Mike McCarthy is a guy that's going to put new wrinkles into the offense and so it did get a little stale there. So it just seems like Mike McCarthy's coming in at, at the perfect time. John, a lot to look forward to covering the Cowboys this season. I hope you have a blast. And uh, thank you for spending part of your Friday with us on Four Down Territory. No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, we continue with Maurice Jones-Drew and DeMarco Farr. I'm J.B. Long. Prime time at SoFi Stadium, the opener against the Dallas Cowboys right around the corner. When he talked about John, speaking of John, when he talked about the weakness on this Cowboys roster, being in the secondary, the defensive backs, my mind ran to, okay, well, that's kind of the strength of the Rams. That's probably where Sean McVay, knowing him, wants to attack. Do you think that's where the Rams go and try and get into maybe a shootout against the Dallas Cowboys on the opening night? Oh, absolutely. As long as you can protect Jared Goff and you have to create space on the bootlegs and do what have you, but that means you have to get the running game going, so there's a lot to it. But, yeah, I mean, if 
the Rams can get into a situation to where they have to throw the ball against Dallas, I, I full fully expect Robert Woods to have a Robert Woods type day to Cooper Cup to probably be the best receiver on the field on game day. So uh, there's just so much you can do offensively as long as you get the running game going so they buy into play action, you can create space. Uh, same as with Garoppolo in San Francisco. It's not the plays within the scheme that worry me with Goff. It's when stuff gets off schedule and he has to create. That's when the issues uh, start to, to come or the turnovers start to mm-hmm. t- start to happen. So as long as you can get that run game going that creates space, that opens up play action, I fully expect these receivers, the Rams receivers, whichever three you want to throw out, will have success versus the Dallas secondary. Pro Football Focus has an interesting point about the one that you just made, Jared Goff, beyond his first read. Lowest-rated quarterback by their grading system in the entire NFL last year. He's kind of like the point guard who can distribute when everything is on schedule and when you're in system, when it gets off-platform, uh, has not done a good enough job, and that's part of the reason why the offensive line is seen as being so essential to the, se- the team's success this year. All right, as promised, let's get to our over-under. Not all of these are true over-under. Some of them are just burning questions that I listed as on my mind as we go into week one against the Cowboys. And uh, Maurice, I'll give you the honor because here's a tailback question to start. Give me the percentage breakdown of the pie in terms of carries this season between Malcolm Brown, Cam Akers, and Daryl Henderson. I will go 40% Cam Akers. Is it by the end of the year? Yes, Okay. season Four- long. 40% Cam Akers. Um, 30, 35% Malcolm Brown, and then the rest, I think the 25 would be for uh, Daryl Henderson. You agree to Marco that Cam Akers, the rookie out of Florida State, will lead this team in carries in 2020? Uh, I know where you're going. I'm going to bump it up. I'll say 60% really? by the end of the year. He's Come on, man. He's And I love Malcolm. You guys know I love Malcolm. I, I think he's as good a, a runner as Malcolm is already, and he just got here. You know what I mean? So I, I think he's your lead back, and I think you're doing the right thing. Uh, you have to treat him like quarterbacks. You can't put him out there too soon. But, I mean, I think he's going to wind up being your best tailback sooner than later. So I'll say 60, and the other two split the other 40. Clyde <laughs> Edwards-Alaire took away any excuse for any rookie tailback yeah. <laughs> in the league this season with his performance on Thursday night. Or right, let's keep moving. Jared Goff, haven't mentioned his name yet on the show. Uh, at least to any uh, detailed extent. He had 21 turnovers last year. This, to me, is the most important category in terms of correlation with Rams wins. How about 15.5 turnovers this year? 21 last year, 15.5 this year, over, under. I'm, I'm taking the under. I was gonna say, I'll take the under. Yeah, I'm taking the under. Yeah, because I'm assuming I, I'm talking to Jared with McVay standing right behind him. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, so, I mean, it has to be. If it is to be, it's up to him, really. So, yeah, you, you've got to come in under that. So, even if you don't produce another yard, you can still do something about the turnovers. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. You can still do something about when the when they have collapsed on top of you protecting the football. That's stuff that you can work on. Now, throwing the football, it's a little different deal, but at least – getting the ball knocked out, you should be able to correct that. He cleaned that up in December, and also they cleaned it up for him by moving him outside the pocket yeah. and making sure he wasn't a sitting duck back there at seven. All right, more receptions in 2020. This one might be my, my favorite question, the most intriguing one to me. Van Jefferson or Josh Reynolds? Oh, Van Jefferson. You think he's surpassed him on the depth chart already? Yeah, I would I th- agree. I think he's moved, I think he's moved up. and, and Probably the darling of training camp. It's not only his height, but it's his size. Like, Josh Reynolds is a slender 6'3". He's a downfield stretcher. When you get in the red zone, you need those bigger bodies 
to go. I think that's where you're going to see Van Jefferson show up. We saw that multiple times in training camp, him jumping over DBs and catching the ball. I have no doubt. I think of anybody on this team, I think he's run more routes than anybody. Oh, my God. The guys come up training to be a receiver. So And it shows. when he He's not – like Cooper Cup, it's not too big for him. So – I guess I would answer to be the devil's advocate, Tyler Higby. <laughs> I think he's going to be your third receiver, yeah. <laughs> How about Rams Rookie of the Year? We mentioned Cam, we mentioned Van, uh, could be one of the safeties. Who do you think will be the Rams Rookie of the Year? I, I'm, I'm going to go with Burgess. I really? Think, I, I, I'll tell you why. It's He can do everything. And it may not come out in stats, per se. It may not be he has tackles, picks, you know, uh, uh, PBUs, but – they're going to ask him early on to cover some guys in some and be in some situations where he's going to. He may have to come out and cover Blake Jarwin, right? Who's a very capable tight end. His when he's had his opportunities, when Jason Wynn wasn't there, he exploded. So you have to. You're, he's going to have to cover some tough matchups, and he's going to have to do his job and lock it down. I guarantee you, the reason his defense is going to be successful is because of where they put him and who they have him cover. By default, I'll go Cam Akers. I was going to say Lewis because right. he's he was going to be plugged right in and play, and he. Have a chance for some wild plays, so I'll go with Cam Akers. I think he'll be a steady influence running the football, and I think there's going to be more to come from him out of the backfield, receiving the football out of the backfield. I I, I was going to say I would have said Cam Akers, but it just like I yeah. have to give you something <laughs> different. Like I can't always talk to RBs in this thing. Consider this a two-minute drill. We're going to have to move quickly to get through the rest of these. More likely to have a career year from the class of 2017: John Johnson at safety, Gerald Everett at tight end. What say you, Demarco? I'll go John Johnson. Um, he was hungry last year. You could tell it was killing him, and um, it's money time for him. So I, I think it's time for wild plays. Ditto. Tyler Higby set franchise records for tight ends last season, but he did the bulk of it in one month in those final five games. So 69 catches, 734, three touchdowns. Can he do more, yes or no, in 2020? Yes. Absolutely. I think we're going to see more, too. <laughs> Interesting. Who leads the Rams in interceptions this year? Is it Jalen Ramsey or someone else? Uh it's it's gonna either be, I'll, I'll say John Johnson the third. That's a good pick. That's a good one, Darius Williams. I like it. Uh, who are you gonna pick on? I mean, from the sample size, <laughs> he's gonna get sixteen of them, right? right. If he plays sixteen, <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so I like those picks for Rams interceptions. Dante Fowler recorded a career-high 11.5 sacks last season. Speaking of getting paid, right, contract year deliverance. That was with Clay Matthews hawking a few along the way too. So Leonard Floyd now has averaged 4.6 per season, four of them in Chicago. Former first-round draft pick, over under 6.5. What do you think? Over. I'm going to take the over, but not by much. Does he get one on Sunday night? I think he gets two. <clears throat> two to I start. think he gets double digits this yeah. season. Wow. I hope so. I hope you're right. Yeah. How many kickers do the Rams use this year? They start with Samuel Sloman, their seventh-round selection. I, I was torn. I didn't know whether to set the over-under at one-and-a-half or two-and-a-half. I'll say three. So you're going over two-and-a-half. Over oh. two DeMarco, would you go over two-and-a-half or only over one-and-a-half? I'll go under two-and-a-half. Under two-and-a-half. Yeah. Okay. Come on, Samuel. We'll see if Hang he's the there. final answer with his predecessor across the way with Bones Fossil on opening night against the oh, Cowboys. And you know Bones is going to have something for the Rams. That, yes. that should be a good one. Okay, quick bonus. <laughs> uh, I got two more now. Does Bones Fossil run a trick play on special teams, yes or no, Sunday night? Yes. Even yes. though he knows the Rams more than anyone would be expecting it. Yep. Interesting. Yes. Okay, and here's the last one because I look at this first five games as, as the first segment, right? I think this is the real uh, kind of uh, first chunk of the season, and I'm curious – what will the Rams' record be when they travel to face San Francisco week six? That's their first division game. 
Quick refresher, here's their first five-week schedule. Cowboys at home, then three road trips to the East Coast in the early window in a stretch of four weeks. At Philadelphia, at Buffalo, home to the Giants, at Washington. So week six, they played five games. What's their record going to face the 49ers? Woo! I, I would say I, uh, three and two, I, I would say, just because. I think that's the most likely. Uh, you got to go to Buffalo. Buffalo's always tough to play, and they're a good team. Right. So. I'll say three and two. If you're three and two by the time you face San Francisco, that's that's pretty good. So if you depending get, on who you beat, <laughs> if you get one from the NFC East, right? These are the yeah. two favorites in the East: Cowboys, Eagles. Yes, right. And then two out of the next three at Buffalo, home to the Giants, at Washington. Three and two going to San Francisco would feel good in your eyes. Yes, I think it would put you in a great position to make a run in the division where you played your competition well, and in the back end of your schedule where it gets home friendly. All right, so three and two, or better, or better, right? Better is where we want to be talking is week six against or the not? 49ers. <laughs> All right, he's Demarco Farr with Maurice Jones-Drew. I'm JB Long. We will talk some more about the division first week matchups for the Cardinals, the Seahawks, and the 49ers. Plus, we'll dwell on SoFi Stadium and what a marvel it's been. We know you can't be there Sunday, but we want to give you our first impressions as we prepare to call Cowboys and Rams on Sunday Night Football on 710 ESPN. All right, since it's Rob Havenstein who brings us back in, why don't we spend a quick moment on the offensive line, which I think is kind of the the Jenga piece to this whole thing, as we found out last year. And Rob Havenstein might be the most important piece to have a bounce-back 2020 campaign. He was not all pro-worthy, but probably Pro Bowl-worthy in 2018. He unfortunately fell off a cliff dealing with some injuries and regressing a bit last year, and the rest of the offensive line went with him. What a first test for Rob in this offensive line when you look at this defensive front for the Dallas Cowboys and consider that they could have had Gerald McCoy as another moving piece as well. My goodness, is this going to be tough? No, it's definitely going to be a challenge. I think every week uh, you're going to, you know, Rob Havenstein is going to have to go against one of the top pass rushers or top defense guys in the league. If you go look down the list, I mean, Washington, he's going to go against Chase Young. Right? Uh, the, the top one of the top or the number two overall pick. He, Buffalo, they have guys and so every week is going to be that way. It's going to be important, though, for the Rams, again, to get this offensive line going forward. We saw when they went forward last year, when even the guys were banged up, when they were running the ball and they were getting guys going, they were able to move guys off the ball. So that's what you want to do. You have to go in and establish this running game early against these Cowboys and then use the misdirection with the play-action pass or the fly sweeps. you got to get guys kind of thinking. And if you can get them thinking, then I think your this O-line will really – you know, you'll start to see them jail throughout the course of the game. We were out there, JB. We we saw Rob Havenstein walk right by us, and we won't talk about what happened when we saw him. Uh, yes, I know yeah. where you're going. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he looked leaner. He looked more in shape. He you asked him. Like, yeah, he looked like he had lost some weight around the middle. And, you know, asking about him, asking his coaches, and just talking to him, you know, he's a guy that's been banged up forever. He's just the tough-as-nails dude, so – Actually having a chance to sit out, heal himself up, I, I think you're going to see what kind of athlete he really is. And just imagine this for a hot second with the way the, the Rams are constructed and what they have to do uh, going forward. Imagine if he just became a fixture, a Brian Bulaga at right tackle for the Rams. Mm-hmm. Think about the resources you could throw to the other side of the line right. at left tackle in the future. You know what I mean? If Rob Havenstein can be that guy, and I think he was on his way, so – I like what I see so far, and this is, I think, the perfect offense for him because you don't have to just man up every single play. There's so much to worry about uh, when you can just block a guy by, you know, running in a certain direction. 
and then the bootleg will catch him for you. So, yeah, as long as he has a chance to stay healthy, I, I think we might see a repeat of what we saw the, the, the best of Rob Havenstein a couple seasons ago. I'll be curious to see how much tight end help he gets, both this week and throughout the season, especially as the Rams play more two tight ends, as you figure they will. Where do they align that tight end? Do they detach yeah. him? Do they put him on the right shoulder at Havenstein, especially with someone like Demarcus Lawrence this week? Do they make sure that he gets off to a good start on every snap and maybe on the season by making sure he's got a little help? Well, I think that matchup is uh, a neutral matchup, though, because Demarcus Lawrence is a bull rush guy. He's going to yeah. strong, and that's where Havenstein does his best work against those type of guys. Yeah. If you remember last year against the Niners, they flip-flopped Bosa the speed and, and, and D4. That's when I that's, saw a tight end to his hip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So you have to make sure if that is where he's going to line up, okay, we're okay with that. We'll give a little back chip help or something just to help. But other than that, you know, he should be able to handle that because the pass rush move match. And to your point about getting into better down and distance, how about this? 21% of carries last year resulted in either no gain or a tackle for loss. That was 26 in the NFL, and that's where Jared Goff was put in some known mm-hmm. passing situations, and it was it was not favorable to say the least. All right, let's run through the division this week, week one, before we talk about SoFi Stadium and uh, get ready for the weekend against the Cowboys. Seahawks at Falcons is quite a way for Pete Carroll and company to start. They're a slight favorite, but uh, early window on the East Coast, and the Falcons found some juice late last season, enough to maybe make them think that they could retain their coach. Then they went out and got a couple of former Rams, and here we go facing the Seahawks in week one. What are the chances that the Seahawks start with a loss? Uh, High. And I'll and I'll tell you why. There's no pass rushers. The, the Seahawks don't have pass rushers right now. They don't have a guy that can change the game like they did. Let's remember when they won Super Bowls and when they were the Legion of Boom, it wasn't the back end that was doing all the work. It was Michael Bennett, uh, Clint Averill. All those guys, mm-hmm. or Cliff Averill, all those guys were getting pressure consistently. Who's the guy that's going to get pressure? And if you don't get pressure on Matt Ryan with Julio Jones, Adams, Calvin maybe. Rooley, maybe they send him. <laughs> someone's going to have to cover Hayden Hurst in this thing, right? So you, yeah. you're putting yourself on the back end. They don't like to blitz their safeties that much either, even though Jamal Adams is a very, very talented player all around the board. Uh, I just feel like the Falcons, man, they, they, they got something brewing down there. They're not getting enough attention. It's a little nerve-wracking, to they're, be honest. They're always going to be top five in offense, Atlanta. So something's going to have to give in Seattle, in my opinion. Either Pete Carroll's going to have to get blitz-heavy, because like you said, there are no pass rushers, or you're just going to have to let Russ be Russ from the jump and not wait until the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? Either we're going to go for the outscore or I'm going to be straight up, let me just bring the house at people because rushing with four, I don't see that guy on the roster. All right, up in San Francisco, it's interesting how the shoe's kind of on the other foot now. It's um, Shanahan who's getting all the love, all the press clippings. They got this uh, Super Bowl hangover narrative over, over their stadium rather than over the Rams. And I'm curious to see how they handle it, starting with the revamped Cardinals. So I think a lot of people are kind of betting on as like an up-and-coming team with their quarterback, with Nuke, with Cliff Kingsbury. What do you think? Are, are the Cardinals contenders in the NFC West, or is this still a three-team division? Uh, they're not going to win this one. They're, they're not going to be this the, game. Or this, they're, they're not going to be win this game, and okay. I and I and I'll tell you why. They still have pass rushers, and if you want to throw the ball fifty times a game, like like the Cardinals want to do, these dudes are going to get to them. And yes, I remember the Cardinals gave gave the Niners fits, but the Niners understand now who they are, who they have to be. They don't have many receivers on the outside, so they're going to run the ball, throw the ball to Kittle, and. I just think this defense, and from what, I, what I've been hearing coming out of San Fran, is that this defense is even better than they were last year. 
You know, it's weird for me, man. This is a team that was just in the Super Bowl. That's the reigning NFC champs, and the only weakness I can find on the roster is actually the quarterback. Right. Yeah, I mean, And really. the receivers. They have no receivers right now. And that's not by much. I think what he uh, – fourth in 49er season history, I mean, as in terms of yards, he had a great year. But, right. you know, it's, when he's within the structure of the offense, great. When, when it breaks down, not so great. Sounds familiar, right? Uh, but they're a tough football team. But Arizona, on the other thing, on the other – they're on the upswing. I think Kyler Murray is – he's a problem waiting to happen. Five times last season, went over 300 yards passing, and he averages 50 yards rushing. Okay, well, add more to that. Add more to what you saw at the end of the year. I mean, I, I think he's getting better and he's getting more dangerous. Um, I think the only problem with this division outside of Pete Carroll is all the coaches are young and they may cannibalize each other. So it may be survival of the fittest. Right. But this could be a division to where actually – Two teams make the playoffs. Three. three. See, that's yeah. how good this division yeah. is, but if they don't beat each other up. All right, quick thought on SoFi Stadium. You've been there twice a piece now. Uh, you've seen the Rams play inside of it in a scrimmage environment. Never in our wildest dreams would we have imagined opening this incredible $5 billion palace without you, the fans, there. But that's the reality that we uh, contend with this Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys. What strikes you most about SoFi Stadium? I, I just, I mean, just the look from the outside. That, to me, that's the biggest thing. It's just like, it's this beautiful pearl and this ocean of buildings and all this stuff in Inglewood, and then this is right there. If you could paint a picture of what new car smell looks like, it would be that there stadium. You go. Yeah, yeah. You go. <laughs> I mean, I love the video board, of course, but I love that the video board, while it has a gravitational force, it doesn't force you to watch the game off of it. You can watch the game live. Every seat in the stadium has a clear sight line to every corner of the field, and then you get to leverage the power of 4K um, for the audience, and we just can't wait to welcome you through its doors. Until then, we'll do our best to describe it and all the action for you starting on Sunday Night Football Week 1 against the Dallas Cowboys here on 710 ESPN.